Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. It's a pleasure and honor to share another weekly journey with you on Wednesday night live, which of course is always archived and accessible at your convenience. I want to speak about something that is a little uncommon discussion but can be deeply relevant to us. And it's one of the questions in our mailbox that we got from one of you, submitted the suggestion. So this is a good opportunity. If you have any topic or issue you'd like me to address, just write to us at MeaningfulLife.com and uh, hopefully we'll uh, address it at some point. And this is the question of, does government have a spiritual responsibility? As soon as you hear the title, it sounds, what is that? You know, our relationship with government, especially recently, is not always that um, trusting, let's put it that way. There's a lot of um, distrust in government. Um, political parties are polarized. There's accusations of corruption coming from all different directions. So government is really under attack and government officials. So it's no wonder that many of us are skeptical, if not outright cynical, at the whole role of government. And yet, when you think about it, can a society survive, let alone thrive, without some form of governance? If you're dealing with a bunch of different people with different opinions and different interests, what keeps a coexistence balance? So ostensibly, many, many would think the question of the role of government is not really relevant to my personal life. But think about it a little more and you realize that the welfare of every citizen on earth, the welfare of any, every citizen in a particular government, is completely dependent on the type of government it is. We sometimes take it for granted because we have today much more free governments than once used to be in the olden days, who ruled and governed, was a monarch, was a tyrant, was an individual, may have been a benevolent despot. But there was no concept of a government of the people, a government for the people, of the people, a democracy. So we may take it for granted, but government is critical in really keeping civility and balance. But you could argue, okay, that's all it is. It's bad, so like a form of a referee. The red lights, green lights, someone has to keep some type of balance so there should be coexistence, we shouldn't kill each other. Like the words of the, of the ethics of the fathers, if there was no fear of government, or of malchus, of rulership, one person would swallow up another, because self-interest would dominate. <clears throat> but then, of course, as I said, the cynics weigh in and say, one second, government today has become a, uh, a uh, force that serves self-interest, serve interest groups. And yet, <clears throat> in comparison, we have freedoms today that we never had earlier on. So really focusing on what a government is, its role, its responsibility, can actually illuminate for us, on a much deeper level, the state of our society, where we stand. Because at the end of the day, Government and the people that live in that government, that live in that country, that live under that government, are interdependent and interconnected. 
They both need each other, and they both reflect on one another. It's our elected officials, so it reflects our choices. And on the other hand, the type of government has an impact on us as well. So we impact it, and it impacts us. So then come the big questions. So what exactly is the role and responsibility of a government? So we have the Aristotelian thought on the matter, and it really comes down to, and let's dissect and get back to the roots of what exactly is government. When you have one person on earth, even that person also needs accountability and needs some type of plan and strategy in order to be efficient. But you don't have the issue of conflict. But as soon as you have more than one person, as soon as you have many people and a larger community, how do you balance individual good and the, and the greater good? If everybody follows their own whim, they follow their own interests, we will, we will clash. So we need to have some way to balance the two. Has anyone found a method that is perfect? No, we haven't. But this is one of the key things in government is how you balance those two. Now, as I said, in the olden days, let's talk before three, 400 years ago, this issue was resolved by simply having one leader and everybody had to blindly and be obedient to that, whether the person was a kind person or not a kind, whether he was fair or not fair, or she, that was it. And the argument went, that way at least you avoid having conflict, because one person decides and that's it. But then what prevents that one person being corrupt and abusive and exploitive as we see throughout history what happened. Communities and their diversity. And at the same time, um, also the common good. This doesn't always come easy because there's full of conflicts and it's not that simple. So without some type of respect for some higher order, it becomes almost impossible because you'll say, why are you telling me what to do? And then when everybody's saying that, what do you have? You have chaos. Anarchy. And yet we found that as Churchill once said, I believe, about capitalism, it's the worst system, or maybe about democracy, but I haven't found a better one. So as a man-made institution goes, we have refined a product, we have refined a institution called government that tries to balance these two with the inevitable tenuousness, tensions, and often real conflicts that have to be resolved in courts, or in some other way, compromise, and so on. I'm not going to go through all the details of this because it's pretty obvious. The question is, is there anything more to the story? Is there anything more to the rule and role of government? Because if you think about it, if government's interest is the welfare of the people, and the United States Constitution actually voices it that way, the welfare of the people, Creates, creates civility, peace, maintain the peace, and other such things, then you really have to look deeper and say, so what do the human beings need that the government needs to provide? Now, obviously, some things the government cannot provide us. We have to provide it ourselves. But they have to create an environment that nurtures and nourishes the human being. So really the question is not what is government's role, what is a human being? Who are we? If we can define the human being, we can then define what are the institutions and the establishments and the, the bureaucracies necessary to get people to be the best they can be. 
not repress them, but allow them to flourish. Now, though the American United States Constitution is not perfect, but it is, it is, it is heralded as one of the best constitutions because it deals exactly with that issue. To create an environment where human beings can thrive. So though it was true that under a monarch there may have been no conflict because human beings were simply repressed, no opinions were allowed, but that definitely did not, was not conducive for thriving, for growing. If, you don't let, if your voice is not heard, if you're not encouraged, if you're not motivated, incentivized, then you'll do the minimal. As soon as you empower individuals, however, as I said, comes the conflict of different individuals. So to be able to do both, to empower the individual, while also create a common good where the individuals don't eat each other up alive, is quite a feat. And that right away borders, if not further than borders, on understanding much more the theological, psychological, and emotional basis of the human psyche. Because the fact of the matter is, to go a step further, each of us as human beings, on one hand is an individual, we cherish individuality, we thrive when our voice is allowed to speak. Look at children, they just express themselves and you encourage that. At the same, at the same time, we're social creatures. I don't want to use the word social animal, social creatures. And as such, we need each other. And we complement each other. And we turn to each other for help and support in areas that we may not be so strong. This is the art of negotiation, the art of collective, collectivity, the art of cross-pollination, of um, interconnectivity. The art of being interconnected, complementing each other, and this is the basis of all business. You do something, I do something for you, you do something for me, I charge you, we, tr we trade, we barter, we cooperate, we collaborate. That type of synergy is a critical component, obviously, in each of us. Firstly, living up to our voice. Secondly, to be complemented and to be able to be, and our cause be advanced by others who have other strengths that help support us. Just think of it, just every, look at any film, at the end of a film, look at how many credits there are. When a building goes up, is it one person who built the structure? No, you need to have the visionary, you need the architect, you need the contractors, you need the bricklayers, you need the plumbers, the electricians. You need the people who pay, the financiers, the people who, who commission the building. It's a collaborative effort. That when it works well, is a lot of diversity, but harmony within diversity. So when you think of government, you have to think about the human being, what do we need to really be the best we can be? As I said, go back several centuries and human beings did not live up to the best they can be, they were repressed. They were suppressed. In the, in the name of goodness, greater good, or the name of just plain power and raw, control, raw power and so on. But when you, really understand, when you really understand government, you have to understand what is the government governing. A government as an end in itself, one of the things it's criticized for, is destructive. A government is here to serve the people it governs over, not the other way around. So what we really need to understand is how we, and let's just take two people, how do we balance the uniqueness and individuality and exclusivity each one of us has, at the same time complementing each other. In the great words of Hillel the Sage, if, I'm, if I will not be for myself, who will be for me? Your individuality. And then he continues, if I'm only for myself, what am I? The idea of collaboration. So I always use the analogy of musical notes. 
in a March composition, you need all the notes. They're all indispensable. At the same time, they all need each other. And the perfect balance is struck when they all recognize there's some bigger picture that's greater than the details and the individuality and greater than the synergy. And when, both, when all parties realize that, they realize that if I, if I forego my own self-interest and I bring in someone else, it actually helps me ultimately, and vice versa. So in that context, if you th- the language I'm speaking now is far more psychological than just efficiency. It's not just someone minding the store, government that is. It's not just someone looking over and making sure the accounting is right and everything is running efficiently. There's an element, there's a spirit to it. Yes, a transcendental element to what government is because it's meant to govern and create an environment that will bring the best out of people. So what is that environment? So let's look at children again. What makes, when children play with each other, they go to school or they're playing a play date or near their home, let's see how they play with each other, study them. You see on one hand, every child has their voice, has their uniqueness, and they usually express it in some way or another. Sometimes the expression of that self can offend another child and they get into a fight. And both are expressing their voice. But then when they work together, you see they complement each other. And they're able to coexist. And more than coexist, they're able to actually feed off each other. That's a good friendship. And humans need both. It's not just me or you winning. It's we need my voice, we need your voice, and then we need the voices to come together and respect each other. What we call, in the Hasidic terminology, bittel, an element of modesty, humility, and not self-absorption. Absorption. Suspension of self. Suspension of self in order to be able to collaborate and coexist and, co- and co- um, cross-pollinate with others. So it's not like you're weakening, you're losing something. You gain something much greater in return when you have that collaborative effort. So government has to reflect that balance. The balance of individual, the balance of the collective good. So in that sense, a government is supposed to provide the proper environment, and I would call it spiritual environment, psychologically healthy environment. If, for example, parents don't create an environment, they pit children against each other, they're constantly fighting with each other. So there's never an environment where the children can grow up and really have both elements. First of all, recognize I have a strength, a uniqueness, and how I complement, and I'm complemented by another. Same thing with the government. If a government does not recognize those fundamental needs of human beings, everything, all the rules, all the laws it writes are going to be rendered weak, if not meaningless. Because it's not focusing on the most important thing, which is the spirituality and psychology of the human being. So in that sense, absolutely a government has a uh, spiritual responsibility. What does that mean? A responsibility to bring out the spirituality, the individuality, the voice, the song of its citizens, of its people. So how do you create an environment? You have to have certain things etched in stone. Number one is, nobody dominates. In words of the Declaration of Independence, well, I would like to say all people are created equal. They wrote all men are created equal. But men meaning humans. What does that tell you? Created equal. That no one is more equal than another. Why is that vital? Because if you don't have that principle... The one in power is going to ultimately dominate over the one less, the weaker one and ultimately give them less rights, deprive them of their rights that you don't have individuality being expressed. 
You're suppressing, you're repressing, suppressing. <clears throat> so in that sense, that's a vital component, and there you have it in the Declaration of Independence. What other vital component is that you want to create, that people, not only they create equal, but they also have rights. You take away their rights, or you don't protect their rights, then fine, okay, I was created an individual, but I can't express myself. So you have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of press. All this to reinforce that this uniqueness that you have is respected, and you actually can express yourself. It's not just respected in the abstract, in the heavens, but down here on earth. Is there a risk? Yes, there's a risk. Because you have dialogue, but you could also have conflict. You could have discord. You could have disagreements. But you're having at least the voices, the individual, that is necessary. Now, if these were not necessary to the human condition, it's optional. But they are necessary. So imagine a government going and building in it, it like we found quite a few totalitarian regimes, even as recently as the former Soviet Union or other countries, where they determine we're going to suppress individuality. We will not allow it to flourish. What are they doing? Yes, they may have control, mind control, but they're undermining the very fabric of what defines human beings. That's the ultimate tragedy. But let's go back to the positive. An environment that creates that and creates that type of mutual respect and fundamental respect creates the environment that people will come out and experiment and say, ah, now that I have an environment that is comfortable, that is welcoming, that is respectful, what, what kind of work, what, 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 can, what, um, what, is it, what, what is it proposed for me to be able to actualize myself? So that environment is vital. And you'll see it in classrooms, you see it in schools. The more mind control, the more control, the less you'll let people spread their wings. So in that sense, government is responsible to create such an environment, an environment for everybody. Cannot discriminate, because then it defeats the purpose. It has to be one that really invites everybody to be themselves. Yet, here comes the second side, yet we are, as mature adults, we can't just have tantrums. There are rules to the game. Just like there's a red light, when there's a red light in your direction, you don't, you don't travel. And the other direction travels. And then they get their turn. So there's a fundamental respect, not just to express yourself, but a fundamental respect for the other. And that each person has these individual rights. Of course, you need to have courts of law, mediators, to, in order to deal with smaller issues or conflicts, that goes without saying. But maybe it doesn't go without saying. We have to say it, so I'm stating it. Because that creates actually people you can go to where you yourself, due to your subjective blindness, and a person in fetters, a person trapped in a prison can't free themselves, allows you to see fresh air from another. <clears throat> so these are some of the beginning elements of what a government must provide. Individuals create government, elect government officials, in order for them to express these interests. In order for them to cultivate the self of the individual that you can blossom from a child into a productive adult. <clears throat> so in that sense, government has that role. But here comes the big question. What happens if the people decide we want to do things as we see fit? It may not be for the greater good. It may actually contradict the greater good. But that's what we want. 
and the consensus decides that that's what should be done. It may not be healthy, but people decided that. Okay, that brings us that the government has to have something additional. And let me explain it with the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments begins with, I am your God, Anoichi Hashem Alekecha, who took you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods. Then the, the Ten Commandments continue, and with laws like do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and other do nots. All seemingly logical things. Why do we need I am your God to begin with? So the answer is given, one of the answers, we saw in the last generation, a very evolved Western country had science, had art, had music, literature, poetry, romance. And yet they stooped, perhaps, in the lowest levels that human beings can stoop to in the killing of innocent men, women, and children, the Nazis, the Germans. They were not accused of being a third world country, but they behaved worse than any third world country ever behaved. Why? Because they saw themselves as God. I don't need, I am your God. I'll decide when murder is acceptable, when it's not acceptable. Vermin, bacteria, as they call the Jews, they deserves to be killed. But what if you die and you cross the line from, you, from, playing, from being human, playing God? You, as a human being, can figure out how to do it, but you can't make that decision. So they were lacking the fundamental principle. So a government must have the concept. What we have in the currency, U.S. currency, in God we trust. That is based on the Pledge of Allegiance that there's a higher power that we all answer to. Why is that vital? Why can't you have a government without that? Because that guarantees the absolute rights of an individual, that nobody can ever write an amendment and strip that individual of those rights. It also adds into the equation that, 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 that besides the individual rights, it also adds into the equation that there's some higher order that we answer to. And that brings me, brings me, my friends, to the next key point, that a government is meant to remind us of a higher order. Now, we're not talking about what kind of order. Remember, it's freedom of religion, not necessarily freedom from religion. We're not saying what type of religion. We're not telling you what type of faith. But the idea that there has some, some calling that's higher than my self-interest is vital component. And therefore, there are rules involved in that. So you see here the government, when you start thinking about it, its real role is more than writing tax laws and, um, and travel advisories and weather reports. It's about giving us the fundamental needs for a human society to function, to find harmony, but also respect diversity, to find harmony within diversity. And that's where the government begins a, a very spiritual transcendent role. Now you'll say, one second, how many government officials do, don't know that? How many of them have forgotten it long ago? Well, you know what? We have to remind them. We have to always remind them, go back to the point of departure. Why was this country founded? The Declaration of Independence. Whereas, because the country, Great Britain, UK, was in a state, was oppressing the people, we have to make the decision to, to uh, sever our bonds and start our own nation. And what do they describe? A nation that will be driven by in, by, we, we believe these, self, these rights are self-evident, these freedoms, including, in, in including, including the most important one, that all men are created equal, 
and then the rest of them that follow the behavior that we have to have to one each other, we, to one another. If you take away this fundamentally fundamental principle, the whole house of gar- cards falls, and that's a fact. So, does it mean that every individual is living up to it? Not necessarily, but that is the objective. So, in that sense, the role of government that we elect and we should demand, this is what we want from you, is to be a type of moral compass, is to be a type of spiritual awareness, spiritual GPS, that allows us to navigate the challenges of life. Now you may say, um, you may say that should government intervene? No, that's part of the process. There are things the government intervenes. For example, if a person is self-destructive, gets up on a bridge, and ready to commit suicide, God forbid, the government will mobilize the police, the fire, the ambulance, the, everyone to do something about it. Why? Because we see in the society our failure if a person feels they have to take their life. Where's the freedom? The freedom because we also have to protect people from themselves. That's also the role of government. <clears throat> so the role is basically to create an environment that allows the human being to thrive. And if you look at the Declaration of Independence, you see the key messages. The ambiance is there. Everything else is secondary. Because everything flows from this place. The acceptance. You see parents playing with children. There's a certain acceptance, a certain joy, a certain innocence, and seamlessness. This is vital components from the earliest age. And this is, lies in the hands of parents more than anyone else. Educators, obviously, at some point, play, come into play and hopefully can reinforce this. But nothing replaces having this at home. On an ongoing daily basis, you wake up at night, this type of reinforcement, this validation, affirmation of you, the human being created in the divine image with a particular mission and role to play. And your job is to export that to everyone you meet and to all other environments. It's a tremendous responsibility, but also a tremendous gift. So here we have government in that sense that most people don't talk about. Government, you know, we want tax rebates, we want services, public services, we want the paving of streets, you know, the whole list that we turn to federal aid and federal support. But the most important thing of all, the soul of it all, why are we here? So not in a way of, of dictating it, that's why it's freedom of religion. It doesn't say what religion, it doesn't impose itself. The same thing with other parts of the Torah. It's opening your eyes up to other horizons. And when you begin to do that, you realize a much bigger picture. And people become significant, not because they think they're significant, or because of their size, but because of the larger cosmic order. It elevates all dimensions, even the lower dimensions we've been talking about. Where, <clears throat> where we go from, from the lower dimensions, which is where there's a concealment, and not an ability to really see what is right, and individual interest can blind us, but then we have this higher synergy that helps us see clearly. So in that sense, government has a very deep spiritual relationship. But this leads me to another point. Unfortunately, when there's money and there's power, that becomes the dominant force. Many people see government as a place where there's a lot of money, and a lot of money to waste, and therefore try to find ways to access that. What we need to be clamoring for and demanding is a government that lives up to its true purpose. Not individual interests, not individual gain, but the cause, a greater cause. 
a greater cause. And that has to be the focus. That itself is the greatest reward. The greater cause is what kind of world we're building. And we're building right now as we speak this Wednesday evening. A greater building, a greater edifice. It could be a spiritual edifice, but still an edifice. And we build it what? From the materials of this world. We take them, which on their own, they're neutral. And we direct them and guide them and harness them toward positive ends. Now this is, this is exactly the purpose of each of us in our lives, to take our talents, our skills, and do exactly that. Government is meant to be a, almost in the backdrop, create the environment and create the rules that people can thrive in that way. If a government becomes too powerful and it's telling people what to do, black and white, that's too much. If it steps back so much that there's no rules at all, no, all, no taboos, that equally is destructive. So you need to find something that is higher and answers to a higher cause. And then that itself will inform and transform the experiences that we have as social creatures and as individuals, the balance necessary. So <clears throat> in that sense, government has a very spiritual role. I have a chapter in the book, Torah Meaning for Life, where I talk about government and its responsibilities. Now, especially in our day and age, and there is a lot more elaboration on some of the points I'm making here. In our day and age, in our day and age, the mere fact <clears throat> that we have, as I said before, freedoms, basic freedoms, should never be taken for granted. Because what government should be doing is helping us access those freedoms. Instead, you see these endless debates about the freedoms. Do we have them? Don't we have them? With one extreme, every extreme digging in to the point you say, you know what, both are not for me. But firstly, their attitude is not, you know, you can have friends, relatives, and just have these clashes. So what you want to do is have an understanding that there's a deeper role in the whole process, just like there's a deeper role. This is not about dictating what you should do. It's helping you understand that the real you requires spiritual nourishment. As I say often, I'm not sure who coined it, we're not physical beings on a spiritual journey, we're spiritual beings on a physical journey. And a government that is able to ensure that will thrive. I submit the success of this country and its citizens on many levels is because they had this, this, um, this backdrop. In Europe, it was far, far more tenuous, the relationship with the church, with religion. In America, they learned, as Tocqueville writes, they learned to balance the two. On one hand, to embrace a more mature type of faith. On the other hand, that it doesn't have to be all pervasive and controlling every detail of your life to the point of excommunication, witch hunts, and so on. So there's a lot to be learned from an environment like ours. There's a lot of bad things too. We have an environment that's very, very permissive, that's very, everything goes, and you can get into trouble there too. So we have to take, as I said before, we have to take the offense and see government not just as protecting us from crime and from our most base elements, but showing us a direction, a vision. Because after all, government is elected by people. As I said, we're not living in the old times when it wasn't that way. So the people have to decide what kind of government they want to govern them. And these principles I'm talking about is the key to the whole process. Recognizing the dual nature of people, recognizing that left are our own arrogance and ego and other factors and pride get in the way, 
really listening, learning to listen to people, of course, who have something important to say in this regard. You'd be surprised when that happens, the dialogue, the conversation, while the individuality, magic happens. A synergy will emerge. And that synergy will empower everyone in stronger ways. The key is to begin somewhere. And I suggest to begin tonight or tomorrow morning. Talk to somebody that you feel you want to talk to, you want to learn with, maybe just less formal, more formal, and you'd be surprised. Or join something that's already existed. You'd be surprised how much it nourishes you, and most importantly, will bring out your voice. Because there'll be times something that needs to be explained. You may get something that someone else does not. That's the value of these type of behaviors. A type of pillar that holds the world up, but you are the pillar. As the Mishnah says, on three things the world stands, in Pirkei Avot, in the ethics, on Torah, on service, and on good deeds. So we need the cognitive, excuse me, the cognitive conditioning, study, P, prayer, emotional conditioning, and A, action, spa, the spiritual spa, study, prayer, action. The three Torah, Avodah, Gemilus, Chasadim. And all are necessary. Because the mind is, of course, the place that we're most free in. The emotions are more difficult, but you can also teach them, educate them, tame them. And finally, it comes down to our, our uh, actions. That it's not just cognitive and emotional, but also actions. Like they say, that if you think what, or they say, I said this many times, if you think what you thought, and you say what you said, you know what you'll have? What you had. You want something new? You have to think different, speak different, and act different. So there you have the formula. The formula is to remember you're not a clone. You're not a product of other people. You may be a, you may be a child of parents. You definitely are a child of parents. You may have a good relationship with them. You may not have. And yes, you, they, you have to honor them. You honor life through them. But never think that they created you. You have unique value that healthy parents will help cultivate. But it's yours. And that flower, that, that voice is unique to you, and you can access it. That's the goal, to access it. And those around you should be, do well by supporting your effort instead of replacing it or giving other ideas. And it's completely doable. It's a conscientiousness, it's an awareness. And it allows you to really begin to grow properly because you have the broader picture in mind. I wanted to, before I continue, I wanted to point out that, <clears throat> that this topic, like all other topics, is one that has so many implications. I try to focus on the general principle of government, but if you look, I mentioned before the chapter on government um, in Torah Meaningful Life, you could see more details that complement what I said here. So whether we are in government, or whether we know government officials, or we're just a play layperson, we can get the message out. We have the ability today to communicate this message to as many people as possible. You know, we think of social media, the internet, text, other ways of WhatsApp, other ways of connecting, Facebook. I don't want to neglect to mention anyone here. What do you see essentially? They all have built into their systems memories, memory cards, or whatever you want to call it, that allows the documentation so we can listen at our own leisure. That's one of the great benefits of technology. 
On the other hand, technology can also be, like I mentioned, the other extreme. It enslaves you instead of you enslaving it, or I should say you using it. So this is something we all have to find that balance, and it's something that each of us can do. As I said in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, I speak about it in the chapter on government, also in the chapter on responsibility. And it all does come down to a spiritual understanding of the diversity of the human race and its harmony. Those are the two key things to always remember that keeps that balance. So now, what does it end up saying? That government today, as opposed to the way it was in the past, is a great laboratory, a great, you can say, training grounds for this. Because once upon a time, as I said before, monarchs, despots, individual fascists or uh, dictators run the show, ran the show. They led with their families, with their corruption, no checks and balances, no accountability. Uh, <clears throat> that has changed. And I would say it's a change for the better. So though you don't have that one authority, but now people are much more enlightened to what is right, what is wrong. They're not just dismissed as a bunch of herd mentality. They are taking the lead. And that tells us something which is critical. That once upon a time, government did not reflect human beings. It was individuals who fell into the position. Either they inherited it, or they, or they uh, through war, gained it. But the concept of earning something from the bottom up, that's uniquely in the, con in the context of Jewish history. <clears throat> and that is what? That not a government tells you what to do. You can treat, create the government, and then you tell the government, here are the rules that I also will abide by. So you're dealing with something much deeper than just a book of rules. You're dealing with the very nature of the human beings, translated into the, into the, into the, into the, translated into the specifics that we're talking about here. And that is that the human beings today, we appoint elected officials. We elect them. So as opposed to them having been there and they tell us what to do and if we're lucky there may be something nice, no, the whole thing changes now. So an additional element here is not only that you need to have that balance, not only does government have a spirituality, but when you have that spirituality, it will empower individuals to be leaders in their own right and not be dependent on one another. So that's just one example of many. The same thing, it can express itself through projects that are done together and other things where people from different diverse backgrounds come and celebrate something that unites them all. And that is essentially the story. So it's really a story of a society that is reflecting the common good. The common good is transcendental by nature because we all start off with that. And that transcendental has to come down into the imminent, into a reality on the ground, in the wilderness, and in life in every possible way. So for that, we need the steps. We need to be educated cognitively. The study I mentioned before, we need to emotionally align ourselves through prayer, through emotional connections, and then through actions, behavioral, but behavioral that is, is reinforced by the, by, uh, the, by the solid inner foundations and vice versa. So you have a behavioral behavior that is on a solid, absolute value system. And that's when the two come together and you have the best of both worlds. So then what happens is we're no longer victims of government or its police. We are proactive because we're defining what is necessary. We elect officials. We define what type of government. 
and we want it to be reflect, reflective of our best sides. So it takes on a whole new position that today government also, besides its own role, we infuse it with that spiritual role and we maintain it. And by doing so, you're adding a whole other dimension that is not included in the previous ones that we discussed. <clears throat> and then, of course, when you have that type of um, democracy or freedom to choose, the freedom to embrace something that may not be your biological connection, then what happens is it allows you to really become in control. So instead of us saying, you know what, I'm a victim of circumstances, I'm a victim of government, no. You have the power to elect, you have the power to voice ideology, and you have the power to turn the government into a force of change, a positive force of change. So it's a very refreshing way when you look today at the news channels, you see government, it's almost like, it's almost like, like a joke, it's laughed at, it's mocked at. Obviously you have to recognize it because that's where the laws of the land come from. But it's not seen with the respect it should be seen. But that is because of us. However, if we make demands and say we would like a society to look like ABC, and we would demand leaders that will live up to that, or leaders who want to be leaders will have to voice it that way and, not, and, and satisfy our needs, then you'll have real change. And it's absolutely doable. So when you think of it that way, you can almost say the experiment of government, the institution of government, was put there for us to complement our spiritual dimensions and our spiritual sides in order to create a more just, soulful, and, and um, memorable, um, what I want to say, the world, that eternal experience. And we have absolutely that power. And when you know that, you realize that you're not just a speck of dust, not a dust in the wind, but you actually have a tremendous amount of power that can be harnessed and used and distilled and turned into a force of change, a revolution. And that's, my friends, the take on does government have a spiritual responsibility? The answer is absolutely yes. We all human beings have a spiritual responsibility. We were all sent here. And such was sent here, that's a soul's journey. It doesn't stop, ever. So whatever we go through in life, we meet non-Jews, we meet Jews, whatever environment we're in, your mission never stops. You're always supposed to be a living example, as I mentioned, a shining example of what it means to be a godly person. Now, it may sound counterintuitive, because you think, how is that going to affect, let's say, those that, those that don't necessarily respect us? It will. Because when you live up to your destiny, to your voice, to your uniqueness, others involved will have to also pay tribute to that. And there is much more to say on the topic, but I want to conclude with saying the following. Not all of us are going to have direct impact on the government, but we all have the ability to speak. You have a right to speak up. If there's something you see an injustice, an inappropriate behavior, anything else, speak up. Put it in... Because we have to be a voice. We cannot allow systems and bureaucracies to control us. Now, in that sense, that also empowers us because it, meets, it makes us proactive. We're not just waiting for things to happen. We make things happen. That's an extremely powerful statement because there's many things that need to happen. So it's a matter of really in, introducing our strengths and our vitality and our dynamic energy into the picture.
You can go to MeaningfulLife.com and find many more resources on this topic. Please write us, comment, share, like, and get the word out there. Because like this topic, as so many other topics, has tremendous potential to change who you are, to change the way you function, to change even the rewards that we may gain through the process and realize that it could actually help us discover these deeper dimensions of each one of us. So everyone be blessed. Until next Wednesday, this has been Simon Jacobson, Wednesday Night Live. And we are here, send in your questions. They can be anonymous. Please go to our website and look around. We just gave out a new book called Inside, The Inside Story, Volume 3, Leviticus, part of a five-volume set. So look, check that out. And as always, everyone be blessed, and I will see you soon. Thank you so much.